Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Today on the podcast, we sit down with Elise Miselis, a certified eating psychology and nutrition expert, creator of the Food Story platform and the very popular blog, Kale and Chocolate. As an author, speaker, health coach, and podcast host, Elise's mission is to empower women to create a healthier relationship with food and their bodies by changing what's on their plate and what's in their minds. Elise's concept of food story was born from her personal struggles with food and body image throughout her life. Going on her first diet at age nine, Elise grew to become obsessed with dieting and calorie counting for many years to follow. Even after she found herself working as a successful attorney with the Department of Justice, she still found herself immersed in diet culture. On this episode, Elise tells her own food story and how she went from a lifetime of dieting to healing her relationship with food and eventually transitioning to a career in health and wellness. We also discuss the concept of food and mood in a way that you might not expect and tips for listeners to make the most out of this new year. We appreciate Elise for sharing her courageous story and can't wait to hear your thoughts on the episode. Let us know what you think by tagging us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. We're so excited for you to share your story with us. Well, thanks for having me. And it was such an honor to have the two of you on my podcast sharing both of your stories. Yeah, that was so fun. And you do, you have such an amazing, that you do so many amazing things. But one of the amazing things you do is your podcast, which is Once Upon a Food Story. So we were hoping that to start today, you could share with us your own food story with our listeners. 
I love that now I'm being interviewed um, and, and, and I can appreciate now what all my guests go through. So, all right, well, it's definitely long and complicated and like everyone's food story, there's really some very good parts and also, you know, some parts that were more troubling and we'll probably want to focus on some of that, you know, and how I got over those hurdles. Um, it's interesting because I'm writing my book right now and writing is so cathartic. I mean, I want to recommend to like all your listeners know that they take, if you have something that's bothering you or something that you're trying to work through, it's really incredible to put, you know, the keyboard now, but, or pen to paper if you want to do it the old fashioned way and write about it because so much actually comes out that you don't even realize. And so I've been writing a lot about like pivotal moments in my story. So I think I want to share those with you today. If that's, if that's okay. Please. Yes. Okay. So I grew up in Los Angeles and then since you're both there, you understand how that's really, really relevant because, um, you know, and when I grew up, the focus was more on being skinny instead of healthy, which is where a lot of people are today. And I think that I love that trend that we're moving more towards, you know, being healthy and taking care of ourselves, but it was definitely on being skinny. And I can remember when I was nine years old, I was at the doctor's office and I got weighed. And then there was like, you know, my mom and the doctor being really, really quiet. And then I was told that if I lost five pounds, I could get my ears pierced. And so everything was of course well-intentioned and I want to really point that out because there's so many things that happen to all of us in our childhood and you know things change philosophies change on what you should be doing you know when you raise your children and so nothing was like there were no bad intentions but of course you can imagine as a nine-year-old going on a diet you know so I went on my first diet and um, around the same time my dad was sleep eating and so he, this is really honestly true because it sounds almost too unbelievable. He put a lock on the refrigerator to stop him from eating in his sleep. So again, it had like nothing to do with me, you know, but what's the message? You know, he locked up and every night he'd call up from the bottom of the stairs to my brother, sister and I, do you want anything before I lock up? You know, and he was talking about the refrigerator and the pantry. And so he would give my mom the key. And it was honestly had nothing to do with the, you know, the three of us at all. But of course you can imagine what the message was like, you know, that food was best kept, you know, that it was controlled and kept under lock and key. So for most of my middle school and high school years, I just, you know, was so preoccupied with doing the right thing and eating the right thing. And I watched my mom and all her like friends bring their diet salad fat free during that time, fat-free this and fat-free that and fat-free salad dressing to restaurants. And so I, I just, it just evolved and it was not a full-fledged eating disorder. I mean, I'm sure it was borderline at different times, but it was a total preoccupation with doing everything, quote, the right way mm -hmm. about, you know, and I would ask all my friends, you know, who were skinny, you know, what do you do? And I was just, I would constantly, I was just consumed by thoughts about, food and, you know, losing weight or being and having the perfect body it was definitely all about like looks back then. And, you know, traveled with me all through college. And then I came to um, 
law school in Washington, D.C., where I met the man who's now my husband, but it wasn't like such a easy road with him, you know, because he grew up in a house where food was like pleasurable and there was lots of wine and chocolate and like meals were just like a really big deal for the family. And we went out to celebrate I was about to graduate from law school. And so we went out to this really fancy dinner. Actually, this is what I was talking about. I just wrote all about this. But to make a really long story short, we went out to this dinner and you know it was like super fancy and you had to make the reservation three months in advance. And we, you know, we had anticipated this night and we get there and it was just like saucy and French and like all the things that I couldn't eat, right? And um, we were there supposedly having this incredible celebration and I was being my usual like restrictive self and he um, broke up with me right there. Wow. Right at the table. Said, I can't do this anymore. Like there's no way. And we've talked about even having a family. I'm not dragging your dysfunctional relationship with food. Wow. wow. Yeah. That, and it, that just gave me goosebumps. Yeah. And yeah. I do, you'll have to read my book because I get into such detail about this story. But the thing is like, then we're like having, you know, holding back all the tears in this like really nice restaurant and the chef comes out and it's like, is there something wrong with the food? Because everybody finishes their plate here. Why aren't you eating? You know, and it was like salt and an open wound, right? So right. it was just, so anyway, I ended up going back to California. I was in DC at the time. And then I just really began like a decade or even longer journey of healing my relationship with food. And, you know, it doesn't happen overnight for any of us. Like we all have these pivotal mo defining moments, you know, where, and we also have setbacks too. Yeah. But I just, you know, I started cooking for myself. And that was such a huge part of my healing journey. I think we might have talked about that um, with you, Allie, right? That you, when yeah. you started cooking, how it really just, you know, you connect more to your food. You can feel like really good energy going into it. And you are doing things, you know, because you want to like take care of yourself. And you're so immersed in what you're, you're doing that it's harder to be negative about and to think those stressful thoughts. Right. So it was so, so hugely healing for me. And then we, we did get back together after that. Yay. <laughs> well, that's such an amazing, that's actually such an amazing story because it has such a pivotal moment where the negative relationship was not only affecting you. Yes. It was exactly. affecting the people in your life too. And I don't think people always recognize that, you know, they may know that they have a negative self-talk or negative talk with food, um, but don't recognize how, how it deeply can affect the people they love as well. And that's just really eye-opening. And um, that's why I was like, whoa, that's really moving because and something I, I want to get into with you, the, you brought up the concepts of, you know, you're at this like great restaurant and the chef comes out and everybody, mm -hmm. everybody finishes this food and what's wrong with it. And, and you, you, you know, we're dating your now husband, but dating a guy who came from a family who was like, food was such a big celebratory thing. And it was a really positive experience and something for like a family to connect over. And 
that has a lot to do with just perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And when Erica and I met you, you were giving a talk on uh, not only the relationship between how your food affects your mood, but how your mood affects your food. And I love the way you framed that. And um, could you speak a little bit to that? Because I feel like that story you just told us sort of incorporates that topic a little bit. Yes, exactly. And the other thing that I want to chime in with is how you can see how your family and your upbringing is such an integral part of your food story. And it doesn't mean you're stuck and that, you know, you have to live with that story forever. But, you know, you can see where what happened with me. I mean, there were some really positive things too with family dinners, but you can see how that carried on with me. And you can see how my husband was impacted by, you know, that whole celebratory mentality and where we clashed with that, you know? And so then now we've come together and, and he's a little healthier, you know, and, and I'm more relaxed. So to to answer your question about food and mood. So, you know, just so that our listeners can understand. So it's an emerging field right now, how it's called nutritional psychiatry, how you're food influences your mood. And I think a lot of people are catching on to it and really understand, especially like there are all these products out now, you know, that here's for focus or here's how to feel bliss. So certain ingredients can make you feel a certain way. But if you come to the table and you're stressed out or you're not in the right state of mind to actually enjoy your food or sit down and not be stressed you know, not have stressful thoughts, then your body isn't going to do what it, it is supposed to do with those ingredients, even though those ingredients are pure and can and do amazing things for you. You have to be in the right frame of mind and your physiology has to be more relaxed so that you can, you know, digest the food and metabolize the food and let it do everything that it's supposed to do. And so just to give an example when I got certified in eating psychology, I learned all about the stress response. And the example that my um, the Mark David, who's my mentor, that he gave is um, if you're um, being chased by a tiger, or you think that you're being chased by a tiger, your body is still going to react the same way, right? Your heart's going to elevate. Even if there's no tiger behind you, you're still going to have that same sort of stress response. You know, your heart rate's going to elevate and you're, you know, you're just going to feel really anxious about the tiger, whether it's there or not. So the same thing happens in your body when you sit down to a meal and you're like, should I eat this? Is it going to make me fat? Are there too many carbs? Oh my God, it's going to go straight to my thighs you know, on and on and on. And all of those thoughts create that stress response in your system where your metabolism isn't as efficient, your digestion shuts down, you don't assimilate the nutrients in the way that you're supposed to. So that's why I say that your mood affects your food. So you want to make sure before you sit down to anything, whatever it is that you're eating, that you are not in a stressed out state. And I was probably... 99% of the time, you know, during those earlier years when I had that um, troubled relationship with food, stressed every time I ate. And so all the kale and the quinoa and the green smoothies and the beautiful food I was eating wasn't doing what it was supposed to do because of all the, because of my mood, you know, being so stressed. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think it's so important. And I remember um, Ali and I just completed the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And yeah, thank you. And there was, um, I forget what the module was, but the story that was shared in this module was about this um, community. I think it must have been in like the, yeah, it was like outside of Pittsburgh, um, maybe like 30 years ago, but it was this Italian like coal mining community. Um, I think they were coal miners, but they, they worked these really intense jobs, but then they would go home and they would drink wine and eat pasta and, you know, did not have the healthiest diet by any means, not the quote healthiest lifestyle, but they were actually, this community had lower rates of every major disease. Um, in the United States. So of course people were like, we need to study this community. Like what are they doing right? Right. And they were shocked when they found out like these are hardworking people who have stressful jobs and come home and drink wine and eat pasta. Right. But what they ended up finding out was they had such strong senses of community and family and like generational, like family living together. Everyone was getting along. Like, yes, they had these stressful jobs, but they didn't have to worry about their kids being taken care of or having a root. Like they just, they had very good quality of life. And that's why they're you know, had lower levels of all these major diseases. Um, and then at the end of this module and the end of the story, they shared that it's no longer that way because of course the kids grew up, they left, and now they're pretty on par with the rest of the country in terms of major diseases. But it was just interesting to go back to that food and mood where it's like, of course, you want to do the best you can to nourish your body. But look at that. It's like this community wasn't doing as bad as everyone else living maybe an unhealthier lifestyle. So it's just, or what we deem an unhealthier lifestyle. So, so interesting, right? Food and mood definitely goes hand in hand. Um, but back to your story, cause I think this is so interesting. I love how you talk to about there are these pivotal moments, there are setbacks, but when did you, what was the start of like working on changing your relationship with food? Because I know you mentioned cooking, but what was that like first step of, okay, I'm really going to tackle this. And when did you know you were healing? That's a really good question. And I do think that looking back, it was a long process and the cooking was definitely the start of it. And the breakup, you know, that, that, that was like, okay, I really need to, to change my relationship with food. But what was interesting is back then, like I knew I was thinking more about the physical changes that I need to eat better as opposed to more that I have to change what's going on inside my mind. And I think that's a, a that's newer, you know, that, that we, we haven't, the conversation has shifted mm-hmm. more recently, but you know, we're going back a, a while, but I think for me, um, pregnancy was a huge turning point. And that is when I really connected to my body. And I'll tell you a story that I haven't really talked about this that much um, out loud, but it was such a defining moment as we're talking about that I want to share it because I think that other people can benefit from hearing this. So I was a vegan at when I got pregnant and, you know, it, it was mostly you know, that's just what felt really comfortable to me. And it's different than like just being plant-based, like hardcore vegan, you know, no animal products whatsoever. And about like probably eight weeks or 10 weeks into my pregnancy, I craved turkey. 
like of all things, you know, and that's, we were not talking about listening to your body. I wasn't even doing what I was doing now professionally. This was, yeah, I was practicing law, by the way, you know, like not, not talking about any of that. And I was like, oh my gosh, why am I craving turkey? Like how, you know, judging myself, how disgusting, how could I crave turkey? And it was so strong though, that turkey, you know, that turkey craving. I know you're, I think that, um, Ali shared, I have a shared similar it. story. Yeah. Right. And it was like, yeah, you talked about wanting to go to the store with sunglasses on. So I did, <laughs> I did something better. I didn't even go to the store. I sent my husband. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, I can't ignore this. But it wasn't even like I have to listen to my body. It was more like I really can't ignore this. And then, you know, I had this inkling like there must be something. So I actually sent him and it was like organic. And, you know, like I had to give all the stipulations to make sure it was like the cleanest. And he came back with turkey and I actually ate it, you know. And it was like, can you imagine being like, I, you know, having that eating perfectionism, even though, you know, I was cooking and I was better and I was actually eating, but I was still very concerned with what I was eating. Mm -hmm. Like go all, you know, to say, I'm going to eat turkey, which was against all my food rules. Right. So I ate it and I actually felt better. And I feel like that was really the beginning of how I better start listening to my body and connecting to my body and starting. I tell people now, like, you know, stop judging and become more of a, like, more curious, you know, and mm -hmm. put on the detective. Oh, I wonder why. Why am I craving turkey? Instead of, can't believe you're craving turkey. That's not what you're supposed to eat, you know? And right. so I think that was really the beginning of becoming curious. And that was a, that's a huge step in, in healing when you can drop the judgments and the shoulds and really start to observe yourself from, you know, like that curious point of view, because you can see, you know, things without, um, like feeling guilty or bad. And it's just a different lens to, to observe yourself through. And that was so huge. And also when I had kids, I was like, I, I can see why I do certain things and I want to make sure that they don't struggle. And I have two boys. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but boys have food stories too. Men do yes. too, you know? And so I made sure that I was a really good example for them. And that, like, it just kept getting better and better, you know, yeah. like they were in the kitchen when they were two and could stand on the chair, you know, and help me out. My, they're both unbelievable cooks. And I say like, you know, I'm so far from the perfect mother, but one of the best things that I did was give my kids that gift of learning how to care for themselves and nourish themselves and um, have that independence in the kitchen. They're unbelievable. Like, they one of them was on um chopped the first oh, teen episode i love a chopped and i do watch chopped teen too <laughs> he was on the first one really oh i have to go back and like and try to rewatch it or something <laughs> but that was such a proud mom moment and a, and also not just a mom moment it was a proud moment for me you know and how far i've come in my own relationship with food and my food journey that i was able to like pass this on you know and yes and in lots of ways also you know like now there are a lot of men chef but there weren't a lot of teenage boys who were cooking and that he felt really comfortable to go on national television and do do that because he loved it so much, you know? Yeah. So that was 
a really good thing. That's cool. I was going to say, you know, one thing also from just like a health perspective on a larger level, Dr. Mark Hyman always talks about this, that we need to, like, as a society, fall in love with cooking again. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think what you're speaking to and what you've instilled in your boys is, is the love and like the agency of like, oh, I know how to do this. Even if it's not my passion, even if I'm not going to be, you know, a world renowned chef, you don't have to do that to be able to enjoy it and like preparing a meal for yourself and for the people you love. Right. And you start simple. That's the thing. Like people, just like any goals, any New Year's resolutions or whatever, you know, you want to start where it's sustainable because nothing will stop you from keep going, but it's the worst feeling in the world to feel like you've failed, you know, so really, really simple. I mean, I started with my kids like cupcakes or chocolate chip cookies. It wasn't all health oriented. You know, we were just in the kitchen cooking and understanding like that you can actually make yourself a meal with your own two hands that it doesn't just come from a package or a restaurant and then that turned into other things you know quesadillas and then it became like bowls you know my guys love bowls with like grains and veggies and you know they they eat like that now actually one of them even meal preps but the point is that you can start with a smoothie you don't have to, you know, you don't have to make this five course meal and feel like, okay, now I can cook. You know, it's little things. It's just even choosing to have a snack that's homemade versus one out of a package. That's a win in my book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I, I am not, Ali is the cook of the two of us for sure. <laughs> I do like to bake, but you know, cooking, it isn't something that you know, was instilled in me from an early age. So it's something I've had to learn how to do more as an adult, but it's, it can be so hard and so intimidating, like just from the basic standpoint of, I'm always scared I'm going to poison myself. Like, I'm like, I don't want to poison myself, but, um, actually, <laughs> but when I did, um, whole 30, it was the first time I like forced me to get creative in the kitchen because, you know, within the infrastructure of what you can eat, like I had eggs every day. Right. You have to start getting, even with eggs, it's like, it started small, but I was like, how many different ways can I make eggs? And then after I conquered that, it gave me confidence to try like other lunch and dinner recipes, right? So I love this idea of starting small. Um, and, and I think it does, it does grow from there. So I love that. Um, I'm so interested too. So you were this lawyer with your own food story <laughs> and your own experience. How did it eventually evolve into, you know, your successful blog and kale and chocolate and, and where you are today? Um, that's a really good question. I, I, um, I think that I always should have done this, you know, and my dad's a lawyer and I, and you know, and I was just like in my head, I'm going to go to law school. So I was in college, I'm going to go to law school. And well, I don't regret it at all because I think everything teaches us, you know, I can see how going to law school help helps with my thinking. I'm a really linear thinker. It helped me with my writing. And I did, I practiced this really incredible, I practiced immigration law and I worked in the Department of Justice. So I did some really neat things. And I think I've always enjoyed helping people and I'm still doing that. So I, I, it is a little bit related, but I've always been passionate about health 
And even though, like I said, like the lens is different now, you know, it's health for the sake of actually feeling good and thinking, you know, thinking healthy thoughts and all of that, you know, whereas before it might've been a little bit more shallow, um, just always been passionate about. I've always, you know, read a lot of books. <laughs> I wish I read as many books now. I don't have as much time, but I just read a lot of books when I was younger. And I, I would always go to like the health food stores and I just was very, very interested in it. And so after I took a break from the law um, to be with my kids for a little while, and we moved from DC to LA for a year for my husband's um, work and which was really convenient because I could be back in LA with my family. And I was like, I want to, you know, go back and do something that feels really meaningful. And sometimes when you get out of your routine and you have kind of like a clean slate, you know, you can observe yourself in a different way. And I, I knew like there was no doubt about it. So I also went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition like you all. And when I first started doing it, it was much more about what, like eat your greens and like really helping people with what to put on their plate. And then I, I, I attracted a lot of people who had similar stories to me. You know, they were like in troubled relationships with food. It wasn't, they were eating all the things they knew about. They had tried every, they could write their own blogs, but there was a missing, despite everything they knew, there was something missing. And that was the whole mindset part. And that's really what helped me heal. So I ended up getting certified from the Institute for Psychology of Eating in that, this was in 2013. And it also really helped me heal on a deeper level, my own relationship with food. And I just realized that it wasn't just about what you eat. And you have to remember in 2013, we were not where we are now in 2020. You know, we were not talking about mindset as much, or it wasn't at least common, you know, like now it is. It, and so when I went through the Institute for Psychology of Eating, and I learned how to help people with, you know, to think differently and which then affected their behavior and their choices. It was huge. You know, I felt like this was a really groundbreaking kind of um, certification that I could do. And I, I think it still, it was, it changed me and it changed the way that I could help people. But um, I think that we now are talking more like this, you know, like you told that story, um, Erica, about the, the, um, what was it in Pittsburgh? Oh yeah. The, the community, but like, and I kept thinking about, well, they, they were absorbing, even if they weren't eating as nutrient dense foods, they were getting all the nutrients because their bodies were relaxed because they were in, you know, in that state where they can allow their body to do what it's supposed to do. And you yeah. can't get stress. Like some stress obviously is inevitable, but like the stress that we can control it, when we can control it, it makes all the difference in our health and, and happiness, you know, and, and, it, like the way that we show up. We want to take a quick moment away from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers Naturals is a wellness company specializing in innovative nutraceuticals made from healing hive compounds and plant-based ingredients. Their mission is to improve people's health naturally and save the bees. Erica and I love these products and have been using them since December when CEO and founder Carly Stein was featured on the podcast. I use their bee pollen in my smoothies and love the superfood cacao honey, but my favorite is the bee chill hemp honey. It delivers a powerful 28 milligrams of hemp oil per teaspoon so that you can find your bliss. 
Made with USA-grown hemp, it is non-psychoactive and contains 0% THC. I take it most evenings before bed or after a long day at work to completely relax and sleep through the night. It also curbs my sweet tooth since it is so delicious. What about you? Well, you know I love the propolis spray more than anything, but I also love the Beelixir brain fuel. It's a caffeine-free liquid vial with ingredients like ginkgo biloba and royal jelly that is really great for fighting brain fog and enhancing focus and concentration without any jitters. If you want to try Beekeepers Naturals, you can receive 15% off your Beekeepers Naturals order by using the code COURAGEOUSWELLNESS all one word at checkout or visit beekeepersnaturals.com slash courageous wellness. And you can also find that direct link in our show notes. Now back to the episode. Even since we heard you give that little speech on this topic, I have to say it's something that I remind myself of when I feel like I'm going there. I'm like, nope, you're not going to go there, right? Like just because it's not, it doesn't, then it's like, then the broccoli doesn't matter. I mean, I really love broccoli. So that's like a bad example, but you know what I mean? <laughs> no, like, yeah. Whatever. No, but it doesn't matter if you love it, right? right. It doesn't. If you're stressed out. If you're stressed out about what's happening and or what you're consuming even, it's just like, it's not worth, it's not worth it, right? Like I want my, I want my food to work for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's amazing that, so you stop yourself in the middle of your like spiral, you know, yeah. you can actually stop yourself and say, no, Allie, don't go yes. there. And I've always had some sort of innate mechanism, probably because, you know, you're telling you, you're telling us that everybody has a food story, right? Which we, we know, but it's like actually making me reflect a little bit more on mine and, and why I've sort of have the relationship with food that I do. And, um, I, I've always, I don't know, I must've developed the mechanism pretty early because of seeing, um, I think people in my life who, struggled so deeply with food that I, I didn't, I knew on some fundamental level, like I didn't want to have that relationship, but do I have the tendency where had I like not decided that as a child, probably, um, in response, right. I could have the tendency to have had the deep spirals. Um, and so, but it's interesting. So I do have the ability to start that, but I've been more conscious even after learning about the, the mood and food to be even more mindful of if I find myself going there a little bit, just not, just stopping it in its tracks. What would you say, because, you know, it is a new year and I think the new year, right, is always such a emotional time for people with food. Maybe they've just had a very indulgent holiday season, or this is finally going to be the year they lose those 10 plus pounds. You know, I feel like food is always such a big topic in the month of January, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. can't escape. The busiest. Yeah. 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 And, and I feel like it's when the most targeted ads are for gyms and the gyms, are, it's just, it, we're so inundated. Do you have any advice or any tips for anybody who might want to make a change, you know, which change isn't bad. It's like, I think sometimes because of like, because everything is changing so much to health, which it it should be sometimes like wanting to lose 10 pounds can get a bad rap. There's nothing wrong with wanting to 
change. Right. I agree with that. Yeah, exactly. If there's nothing, if, if you have new goals for January to, you know, that's great. But it's like, how do we do it in a way that doesn't make us obsess over what's on our plate or doesn't make us obsess over, well, I missed my workout this week, or I just had a glass of wine with my friends. Like, do you have any advice for finding that middle ground or how you find that middle ground? I do. But first, I just want to say, Ali, I didn't even get to respond to what you said. And I just am totally impressed. And I think that it's really incredible that you're able to talk yourself, you know, like to say, okay, I need to change where I am right this minute and be able to do that. So I just wanted to commend you oh, for that. Okay. You. To answer you, your question, Erica, I'm so glad you asked it and it just triggered a memory. A few years ago, I did something called, it was like when I was new to Instagram mm -hmm. and I, it was called 12 tiny changes mm -hmm. and the premise of it. And I didn't even start it in January, but it, you can start it. I started in September because in some way, September sometimes feels like the new year, yeah. but it doesn't matter. So, um, it's a really, really great approach to take. So it's about doing one small change and it can be a little bigger than small but every single month instead of going zero to 60 in January. And then in February saying, this isn't sustainable. I can't go to the gym every single day or take classes four times a week or, you know, or cut out all sugar or whatever these lofty goals that most of us have at the beginning of the year. So it's committing to making one change a month. Right. So in my 12 tiny changes, the first month was I think meal prep. And that's when, when I did it, meal prep was kind of newer, you know, I mean, people probably have been doing meal prep, but it could just be like, I'm going to replace the store-bought snacks for some homemade snacks. So you could do as simple as apple and almonds, right? Or, you know, I don't want to, or like whatever, you know, avocado, you know, and, and anything, you know, like it's just easy or leftovers or soup that is snack, anything you want to do. So it can be really simple or you can take on meal prep, but it doesn't mean you have to meal prep for the whole week. Like you can, your meal prep can be make one homemade snack that you can have throughout the week and also a batch of soup, you know, so something like that. So that's month one and you can make it anything you want. So you write out 12 goals. So one of mine was like to focus on sleep one month. Another month was actually to do what um, Allie had just said to catch myself mid thought and be able to like talk about, you know, change the channel, so to speak. Right. You know, that, horrible static station we have in our, our head, get rid of it. So each month you focus on something. And by the end of the 12 months, you've made 12 changes in your habits and mindset. And that's huge, right? But we don't think of it like that where if we're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, walk, you know, everywhere this month, it's spring or whatever, you know, or I'm going to drink more water. Do you know how much healthier and better you feel if you do one thing every single month? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great system. I have one more question just, <laughs> just because on that, just it, when you were talking about that, it really sparked something in my head that you also mentioned right earlier on, right? Where there, there have been setbacks along your journey. And I think setbacks right. are a normal part, right? And so, as you said, like you've made 12 small changes, but again, like how did you, how do you help people or how did you help yourself? Because, you know, I have such an emotional, like, relationship right. with food and it, it does ebb and flow, but it can be hard, right? When you do have a setback or you made some sort of goal and then you just didn't do it, right? Do you have any tips for getting back on the horse, so to speak? 
Yeah, like, I mean, we all have, I like to call them uh-oh moments, you know, kind of stuck with me. So like you girls night out, you know, or like you just go on vacation and you get so off track or, you know, you, you just like can't find your rhythm. I mean, it happens to all of us, right? But it doesn't take that much time to feel better. No. And that's the thing you say, tomorrow I'm going to try it. And you know, one day of eating the foods that you know make you feel good and moving your body and, you know, like writing out things you're grateful for. Like we all have our, have our things that we know make us feel better. So maybe even taking a moment to write down what those are, you know, so that you, it because you cement it more, you know, and, and so it's not just like roaming around in your head and committing to doing it. Um, I have what I call daily non-negotiables and a lot of you probably heard of them before, but they're just like the few things that you do every single day that make you feel better. And I truly believe daily non-negotiables should be small because if they're not small, then they're not going to happen every single day. So it could just be, I take a break every day, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon and I have matcha, you know, it doesn't have to be matcha, but it's more the ritual of slowing down of allowing myself just to breathe and not be like working on other things i happen to also really matcha is something that makes me feel really good so that's one of my daily non-negotiables so like if i'm traveling a lot and i'm not bringing everything with me i might not take have that quiet time you know with the, my matcha every day so one of the things i would do when i got back is make sure i have that or i really feel thousand times better when I move my body. I'm one of those people that I just need, it's not even, it's not for calorie burning. It's not punishment. It's not because I have to exercise. It's not even for like physical. I mean, of course I do it for fit, but my mental health is yeah. saved by movement, you know? And so I just make sure if I haven't, you know, been on track with that, that I just find ways that I can do it. So those are my two daily non-negotiables. And I, I think that like you can have your daily non-negotiables can be different or you could say, okay, I already do those every day. I need to have, you know, like you can have another day drinking water. Do you know how many of us are like slightly dehydrated, you know, like I am. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying, to, maybe, I'm trying to do more of water drinking. Yeah. So that should be one of your tiny changes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, I've already decided from this conversation. I was like, that's <laughs> going to be the one I'm going to really start to incorporate for myself next. Mm-hmm. We should do like a community challenge with We that. should. I would love that. Yeah. Like Erica always says, I'm putting myself on a water prescription <laughs> so that like, she's like, I'm going to just drink this much every day. And she does it. I'm, I'm good with the water. I'm not so good with other things, but <laughs> I'm good with but, the water. But water is life. Don't you feel so much better and, and focus? And I do. Even it's, it's good for it, your weight too. A hundred percent. It's just, it makes everything feel better. And it, it's so interesting as I've talked to some friends or even when we were in IIN and we had to do like health histories, right. As part of the, mm -hmm. um, the curriculum, I was just so shocked. Like you're saying, like people just don't drink water and it's such a small, but powerful change. So yeah, if anybody listening hasn't made a new year's resolution or wants to adapt one, I think this is a big one. It, it has such an impact, but also like people will come to me and I'll ask, you know, what's your water intake like? And I'll feel like, okay, wait, you're paying me to ask about this, but it can make all the difference when someone says, you know what, I'm actually really bad with water. Like, okay, let's start with that. 
And then all of a sudden their skin is brighter and they're like, they feel a little lighter, you know, and they're thinking more clearly. Water. So you actually answered one of the questions that we ask all of our guests, which is what are some of your self-care practices? And I feel like you just encompass that with your non-negotiables, which is really wonderful to hear. Um, is there also any book or anything or even a person interaction um, that you've been particularly inspired by over the course of your journey that's really helped you? Um, there have been many books and, and people, and I feel like you, it evolves. You know, as you evolve, then the books that feel really inspirational will evolve too. So when I was really, really deep in my struggles with um, perfectionism and eating perfectionism, Brene Brown came out with Gifts of Imperfection. And she did her famous TED Talk too. And that on shame, I don't know if you've ever um, seen it, but that that really made a big difference for me. And it was just, it was, it was really like all the languaging that I was like, I really get this. You know, I felt like there was someone inside my head. And so that was huge for me. And I think that it also was the beginning of me realizing how important it is to share your story too. And my, my career, you know, this, this part of it really took off when I started sharing snippets in my story. Like, I think it was in like 2013. I wrote an article about perfectionism and how I'm a perfectionist and how it showed and the ways that it showed up. And now people wouldn't even, they would be like, Oh yeah, me too. But it, it wouldn't feel like as vulnerable as it did then, but it was really like, I must've read it because I was a perfectionist, like a, a thousand times, you know, checking, making sure and like shaking when I hit publish, you know, <laughs> like it was such a big deal at the time, but um, that was really huge. And I'm trying to think of, of other people who have been really inspiring to me right now or podcasts or, I mean, I think you take like snippets from, Absolutely. from, from people. I love what you mentioned, Mark Hyman. I love what he's doing in the wellness space and like really talking to everybody. You know, it's not yes. just like when you go on Goop, which I love, you know, it's a specific demographic. I feel like his message is making wellness and food, you know, and cooking accessible to everyone, regardless of your background. Yeah. yeah and that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what I love that you've shared with us over the course of the story, parts of your story that you've shared today is it seems like you now really love and celebrate food. And even when we first met you, we got to do this chocolate meditation and it was delicious. And the, the food um, pictures that you share on your Instagram and your blog um, are just so beautiful. So you really like have this incredible, you've, you've transformed something that used to be so negative for you or so like there were so many rules rigid. around yeah. rigid. That's a better word than negative. Um, so many rules around to something that's like really a beautiful celebratory part of life. So I just think that's a really, um, or just a really cool thing to see, even the way you talk about it. And if anybody hasn't been exposed to your work, where can they see these beautiful pictures and listen to other food stories and find you on the internet? 
Well, I have a website. It's my name and I rebranded. I was Kalen Chocolate. So that's where Kalen Chocolate comes from. But it's now my name, which is elisemesellis.com. And I'm on Instagram still as Kalen Chocolate, debating, making that <laughs> leap there. <laughs> 2020 might be the year and I'm, you know, I'm on all social media channels, but Instagram's really my baby. And then my other baby is my podcast, which everyone has to check out your episode because it was really very vulnerable and relatable and incredible. So it's called Once Upon a Food Story. And I'm right now in the middle of writing a book all about food story where I share snippets of my own food story and help you discover yours and hopefully you know start on that healing journey too so that will come out not until spring of 2021 wow that's so amazing and so many great resources for everyone listening to discover their own food story and yeah like you said we all have one even if we don't think we do so thank you so much for sharing today we really appreciate you being so courageous and vulnerable well, I really appreciate you. I love the work that you're both doing. It was such a gift to actually be able to meet you in person. One of the highlights from that event. And um, I hope you, you know, keep doing the work that you're doing because it's powerful and, you know, it's going to really change people's lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.courageouswellnesspodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.